you'll turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6, as Eric pointed out, and as you've no doubt noticed uh, from, for example, the hymn selection, all of which are listed in our hymnal as appropriate uh, for children, uh, these simple tunes which provide for us uh, children's hymns, those simple truths simply sung that we take with us all our lives and we enjoy all our lives. Our theme for this morning is actually Sunday school, Christian education. You would have to be, of course, blind not to notice that it's uh, back to school time. Maybe you don't have kids going back to school, but you've probably been inundated as we have been with back to school sales and promotions and things like that. I've been on vacation, obviously, for two weeks, and I came back. And, you know, as you come back from vacation, you've got, you know, a thousand or two thousand unread emails. And I think 90% of mine were just back to school sales. So it, it is that time to think self-consciously about what we are doing when we are going back to school. Not only uh, school as, a, an, as an educational experience, but Sunday school as well. We will be heading back to Sunday school next week. And we need to ask the question, what are we trying to accomplish with that? What's our goal? I mean, we've always done Sunday school, right? We haven't experienced anything other than sun Sunday school. And one of the difficulties that that presents is we could just go back by instinct. We don't really think about what we're trying to accomplish. But it's my job this morning to present the Word of God to you and to present the Word of God in such a way that you get excited about Sunday school. That's my goal is that we would read the word and that the word would guide us and get us excited about Sunday school. Some of you are saying, that's a difficult goal. He's going to have his work cut out for him. And some of you are already excited. My kids are thrilled. Deuteronomy chapter 6. The word of our God to his people, Israel, and to Christ, to us. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, with the great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you, for the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anchor of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. Father, these are strong warnings, but we pray for better things. We pray for things accompanying salvation. We pray that your word would go deep into our hearts and also into the hearts of our children 
and those over whom we've taken oaths to care and to shepherd. We pray that you would be with your church in this and that we would be your servants as we seek the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. So I do think it is a tall task. If you're not the person, kind of person who's naturally excited about Sunday school, it's a little bit of a tough sell to get excited about Sunday school. And I think one of the reasons why it's a tough sell, I think one of the reasons why we get sort of treat Sunday school as this mundane thing is that we're so used to it. It's so a part of us, especially if you've grown up in a United States-based evangelical church. Sunday school is just how we do things. We've always done it this way, and it's hard to see this as something new, something fresh. But in reality, behind the scenes, a lot has been going on here at Christ the King. Your teachers have been working hard to get ready to think through the best material that's most fit for this class. They've been going over their class to class list. I had a talk with a Sunday school teacher this morning who really, uh, who, who for some reason had not gotten the class list and they wanted it so they could pray over this week for each of their students. Your, your Sunday school teachers are working hard to make sure that we get the most out of Sunday school. And if you have a cynical mindset, one of the questions that might immediately arise is, is it all worth it? It's a lot of work, it's a lot of time, it's a lot of money that we put into Sunday school at this church, that most churches put into Sunday school at their churches. Is it really worth it? Now that question might not seem as pertinent now, but three weeks from now, I know how this goes. You get up in the morning an hour and a half earlier than you're used to, and at that moment you wonder, is it worth it? Because the thing that you think you need most, the thing that we think we need most at that moment when you get up early on a Sunday morning and you've got to cram the kids into the minivan, the thing that you're thinking about is what I really need right now is one more hour of sleep. That's what I, it's been a big week. What I really need right now is one more hour of sleep. Let's make the problem a little harder before, um, this is obviously going to be a sermon about why you should go to Sunday school, but let's make it as hard as possible first. Because we can also add to the fact that not only is it tiring, not only does it uh, maybe not feel as exciting as we think it should, not only are those sort of natural inclination to lie in bed take over us, we've also got the fact that is Sunday school even that biblical? I mean, it's good enough for the apostles, right? It's good enough for us. But actually, when we think about the early church, when you think about the earliest church, Sunday school is a modern invention. There's no command in the Bible, go to Sunday school every Sunday morning. Now, if, you don't, if you're not the type that comes to Sunday school uh, for, uh, at this church, you, you do not get nagged by us. And one of the reasons why you don't get nagged by us, one of the reasons why we don't call you every week and say, you should be at Sunday school, you should be at Sunday school, you should be at Sunday school. The reason why is because there is no biblical command that you have to be, there is a biblical command that you have to be here in worship. That is a means of grace, the neglect of which makes you culpable before your God. There's no biblical command that you have to be at Sunday school. Having said that, we want you to be there and we want you to want to be there. We think it's incredibly valuable. We think that the neglect of it means that you are missing out on something that's good 
for your soul and to put it quite concretely as Timothy does, uh, as Paul does in 1 Timothy, this activity every Sunday morning is a hub for growing in godliness. It is a training ground in which you are trained in godliness, godliness which is useful not only in this present life, but in the life that is to come. The most valuable thing that you can do as a Christian, as a woman or man of God, as a child of God, the most valuable thing that you can do is to train yourself in godliness. And Sunday school is one more avenue wherein that happens. And one which I believe you will find to be a blessing. Let's consider that together using the text before us, using Deuteronomy, using 1 Timothy, the value of training in godliness, the value of being trained in the word and having it in front of our eyes and in our ears and dripping from our mouths. Why are these things valuable? First, we're going to look at the purpose of Christian education. Second, the place for Christian education. And third, the promise inherent in Christian education. First then, the purpose of Christian education. We have a whole committee in our church that is designed, it's called the CE committee, the Christian Education Committee, and we think about how to uh, train the church in the Word of God. That's, that's the job of this committee, is to think how we can best fit Sunday school to train the people of God for the work that God has called us to do. What is our purpose? What is the purpose of this training? Well, if you look at Deuteronomy 6, and I would suggest that you have your Bibles open uh, to that point, God gives us the purpose of these things. He gives us the basic content that he wants us to know and to pass on to our children. He gives the basic fundamental content that we are to understand, that we are to put into our hearts and to our minds and to our souls, and what we are supposed to then pass on to those around us, whether you've taken oaths at baptism to help parents train their children, whether you have your own children to help and to teach, we are all obligated to pass on this content that we have received. And it's right here in verse 4, chapter 6, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, here's the content, here's the curriculum. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That's the basic fundamental content that we as educators in this Christian kingdom are to pass on. And as you're looking at that, you might be thinking, well, I've got that. The Lord God is one, and I'm supposed to love him. Not complicated. I've got those principles down. The Lord God is one, and I'm supposed to love him. I understand those things. I've got those principles down. I can now go on to calculus, right? I can go on to difficult things. I mean, there are things that we have to learn in our lives that are far more complex than this. There are things that we devote our time to that just seem much more difficult. And, and the illusion here, the illusion of these old truths that we sing week after week, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The illusion is that that is easy. 
It's easy to remember. It's easy to apply. We can persuade ourselves, particularly if you've grown up in the church. You know, you did the flannel graph as a kid, right? You've grown up in the church. You know all the Bible stories. You've sang Jesus Loves Me a thousand times. Particularly if that's you, you grow up and you think, I've got this. I don't, I don't need more information. I understand what the faith is. I have been saying the Apostles' Creed week after week for years. There's nothing more for me to learn. And so the challenge as you wake up early Sunday morning is, am I going to learn anything new? But what Deuteronomy is actually presupposing, though this content seems so simple, as we read on, what Deuteronomy is reminding us of is that these, precisely these principles, that God is one, that he's the one true God, and that we are to love him with heart, mind, soul, all of our strength. These two principles are actually surprisingly difficult for us. They're not difficult to understand so much. The proposition is simple. It's not quantum mechanics. We get the propositional content. But what happens because of our sinfulness and because of our forgetfulness is there is a natural inclination for us to turn away from these things. And we need to be trained. We need to be trained over and over and over and over again. A number of you play golf, and you know what it takes to get a good golf swing. If you are thinking about your golf swing, it's going to be a terrible golf swing, right? As soon as you start thinking about it, it's, it just goes off course, and you're going to have a, a slice or a hook. You know, what you want to play golf is to know that every time I step up to that ball, I'm going to hit this, I'm going to have the same swing, the same pattern, the same rhythm without thinking. And you train your body for that purpose through practice and practice and practice and practice and practice. And you never stop practicing. Even the best are the best because they never stop practicing. Uh, this example is a little dated perhaps, but Sully Sullenberger, you remember the guy who, uh, the, his plane, the engines went out and he uh, landed the plane safely in the river. He was asked in a series of interviews, you know, how are you able to do that in that moment? In that moment of crisis, in that moment of danger, to react so quickly to the danger that surrounds you. And he said this, he said, one of the ways of looking at this might be that for 42 years I've been making small, regular deposits in this bank of experience, education, and training. I've been making small, regular, ordinary, daily deposits into this bank of experience, and on January 15th the balance was sufficient so that I could make a very large withdrawal. What is Sunday school? Sunday school is small, regular deposits of the word of God into our minds, into our hearts, into our souls themselves by the power of the Spirit, by the power that was promised by Christ to take that word and not only put it into our minds, but into our hearts and our souls. Small, regular deposits so that when the crisis comes, we act on instinct for the glory of God. We act on instinct and bring God praise. That's what Sunday school is. That's why it's so important that we get those basics down because we have a natural inclination to forget and we have a natural inclination to wander off towards idolatry. 
This is right here in the passage. Notice the two dangers that God foresees for the people of Israel. He says, as soon as you get in the land, you're going to forget and you're going to get distracted by idols. This is basic stuff. One God, love him with all your heart. It's not hard. But as soon as you see a land flowing with milk and honey, as soon as you live in a house that you have not built, as soon as you are inundated with the blessings of God, and, by the way, surrounded by an idolatrous culture, you are going to forget and you are going to wander. Those are the same dangers that we face. They're not different dangers. We don't live in a physical national kingdom, a, a Christian nation or an Israel, Israeli nation. We don't live in a nation like Israel lived, but we live as citizens of the king in the land and we face the same trials that they face. We get dis- forgetful and we get drawn away by the passions of the flesh towards the idols of life. And as a result, we forget those two things, those two main principles, that the Lord our God is one and that we are to love him. We forget the commandments of our God. If I could speak uh, for a moment to anybody kind of uh, who's grown up in this church, who anybody who's gone through Sunday school from preschool all the way to the high school class, if I could speak to you for a minute, I think Deuteronomy 6 has a particular warning for you. If you've grown up as a child of the church, there's a particular warning that's implied here. Notice that the danger that Israel faced, the danger of forgetfulness and distraction towards idolatry, corruption by idolatry, is specifically because that they are going into the land, verse 10, and they are going to live in cities that they did not build, houses full of good things that they did not fill, cisterns that they did not dig. See, as one who has inherited the promise, as one who has received, see, many of us grew up in the Christian faith and we didn't have that dramatic experience of moving from a drug-infused culture, moving from an idolatrous, passion-filled lifestyle to a Christian lifestyle. We grew up in the church and we can honestly say that there is not a day in which we didn't know the Lord. For those of us who are like that, who didn't remember what was built, who received the testimony of the word, who have had the advantage of having these things handed to us on silver platters, we are particularly prone to forgetfulness. We are particularly prone to treat these things with neglect. We are particularly prone to get bored at Sunday schools. And my encouragement to you is you need this training This is training in godliness. And though it may seem rote, though it may seem that you've heard all of this before, what you are doing in coming on Sunday morning, in engaging your mind, and in engaging yourself in these things, is you are making godliness instinctive. You are training yourself to be able to react in the moment to the crisis that you will face. Jesus promises that we will all face challenges, temptations, difficulties, sufferings. Are you ready? Are you trained for that? These things are given to us to train us in righteousness, in godliness, so that we are ready to respond in a time of need. 
that is the purpose, that is the design, that is the way we structure Christian education in this church to train the preschoolers who are with Kate Simons all the way up to us adults who are with Eric Huber to train us in godliness so that we're ready. We're ready to meet the challenges that we face. That is the purpose of Christian education. Second then, that's our purpose, that's our goal. Where does Christian education take place? Where is the training room, we might say? Uh, might be obvious, it's on the back of your bulletin, right? It's down in the office. Uh, if you're uh, elementary school or uh, if you're middle school or above, it's basically in this, uh, in this sanctuary. It's basically in this building. So, but that, of course, is not what we mean. Notice how this passage in Deuteronomy 6 goes to extra effort to show you how inundated you should be, how immersed you should be in the word of God. Christian education does not just take place on Sunday. The Sabbath is a hub. It's a starting point. It's a foundation. It's also a goal for our education as Christians. But it's not the only place where that takes place. Again, focusing now on the passage, notice how uh, often, how many different places they are encouraged to place and to remember the word of God. Remember and do not forget, uh, uh, i got a little fan up here that's uh, blown my Bible pages. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign to your hand. They shall be as frontlets before your eyes. See, what scripture is telling us to do is to immerse ourselves in the word of God. If, if you really believe this, if you, in fact, if you take this literally as many Jews, even to the present day, do, you're going to have actual signs in front of your face with scripture on them. You're going to go full Tim Tebow on this, right? You're going to write scriptures on your face and on your hand. And the purpose of that is to have the word always before you and always in front of you, that there's never a moment where you are not encouraged to consider how the word of God impacts my life. Now, obviously, there is, uh, I would, if anybody is tempted to go full Tim Tebow and to write Bible verses on their face, I would caution you for social reasons not to do that. But find a way to apply this word. Find a way to make sure that you as a human being, you as an individual, are constantly exposed to the word of God, that your family is constantly exposed to the word of God, and that the people around you are constantly exposed to the word of God. If you pick this list apart, you can see all three of those elements here. Where am I supposed to expose myself to the word of God? Where is the space in which I train myself in godliness? Well, it is personal. That's why I'm supposed to have it on my hand, so that I'm always exposed to it. It's always in front of me. It's always on me, as it were. When I was growing up, we had those WWJD bracelets. It's a kind of constant reminder of who I am and how I'm supposed to train myself, what I'm supposed to be thinking about. And so I personally expose myself to the word of God in every place that I can. But it's not just me personally. 
Notice that I'm supposed to put it, I'm supposed to be talking about it with my children. It's supposed to be written on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Parents, this is for, for us who are training children, who are building households. If you are here and you are building a household, the, your household needs to be full of the word of God. Somebody entering your household experiences the word of God, is exposed to the word of God, maybe in your life, maybe uh, physically through writing uh, you know, an actual sign that has the word of God. I love going into a home and finding a Bible verse, you know, cross-stitched or whatever. I'm from the South. Uh, those, are, those are wonderful moments because what you're doing is you're exposing your family and yourself to significant texts of scripture. And if you're doing it well, you're not, you don't just have it on your wall as a kind of, I'm a Christian, so I have Bibles on, Bible verses on my wall. You're thinking about it and reminding yourself of it and teaching yourselves these things. You're having discussions about it with your family. You're talking about it with your children. And it's easier to do that if you're surrounded by it. Surrounding your home with the word of God. It should be an aroma that permeates your place. Wherever your place is, your place should be permeated with the aroma of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Which is life for those who are trained by it. But it's not just ourselves, it's not just our families, it's also our communities. It's this place. This place, worship in particular, secondarily I would say Sunday school, provides for us an opportunity to talk in a unique way about the application of the word in our lives and at this time. The Bible is ancient. This comes as no surprise to most of you. The Bible is ancient, it's for Israel in the land, in the ancient Near East. It's for the world as it comes to us through Jesus Christ. But it comes to us in ancient languages, in ancient wisdom, in ancient rhythms. And we live in an undeniably modern world. How do we have learn how the word applies to us? We do it as a community. We do it by sharing what we've learned. We do it by talking about the word as a community of faith in the specific ways that we are challenged. Parents, get together with other parents and talk about how you have struggled in your life and how you've struggled to apply the word in particular circumstances. Share those stories with one another because it's by doing that that we train ourselves in godliness. Kids, talk to your friends in Sunday school about the Bible. Don't just talk to your teacher. Your teacher is there to talk to and to answer questions and to teach you the word of God, but talk to one another. Learn from one another about what the word of God means for you in your high school, in your middle school, in your elementary school, in your context. These are important discussions and they happen at all different levels, but one of the things that Sunday school uniquely allows us to do is to get together with people who are struggling with the same things and apply the word of God to specific circumstances. This is precisely what Paul has in mind for Timothy. This is what Paul says for Timothy to do. In fact, if you're familiar with uh, the uh, pastoral epistles, Timothy, Titus, and First, uh, Second Timothy and Titus, you'll know that this refrain of, this is a trustworthy saying and true, 
occurs many times throughout that whole section of scripture. Paul frequently repeats, this saying is trustworthy and true. And the reason he repeats it, what most scholars think, is the reason that he repeats it is because these are truths that were passed down throughout the church. These are kind of miniature creeds that everybody knows and everybody recites together. And Paul is now passing them on to Timothy as something that's good for him to pass on to the next generation. So in 1 Timothy 4, in verse 11, he says, Command and teach these things. What things? The things that he says in verse 9. This saying is trustworthy and true and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Continue to pass those things on and do so within the context of the people of God. This is why we're gathered. We are gathered to hear from the word what's been passed down to us, what's been delivered unto us, to receive it, and then to deliver it to those around us. Maybe that's your kids. Maybe that's somebody else's kid. Maybe that's your neighbor. Maybe that's somebody who's new to our church, who's just visiting. What we're doing is we're passing these things on as the community of faith in a way that's interpreted for us and for our moment. The word is always relevant. It is always for our edification. It is always useful for the people of God. And what Sunday school, what worship, what this place gives us the ability to do is to pass these things on and to have a specific time and place where we can train one another in the word that has been delivered. We do this that we might be trained. We do this in all of the places of our life, but particularly here on this Sabbath day. What might we expect from those who are trained by the word of God? I'd like to leave you with two expectations. If you are submitting to the word of God, if you are seeking to allow the word of God to train you in your life, if you are learn, sitting at the feet of the sages of uh, ages past and learning the word of God through Paul, through Timothy, through your pastors, through your Sunday school teachers, through your parents, there are two expectations that you should have. Again, in verse, in 1 Timothy, first, while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Your first expectation is that what you will learn will be valuable for all things in every arena of your life. We live in a very compartmentalized culture Okay, that's reflected in our educational system. You do math, and then you do English, and then you do history, and then you do science, and these are just different compartments in our life. And as a fourth or fifth or sixth or perhaps ninth compartment, we have religion or ethics or philosophy. That's not how Paul thinks. Paul doesn't put religion as one compartment, one uh, 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 component of our a full education, but rather as the foundation of everything. What you learn as you learn the word of God 
is valuable for you in every aspect of your life. Not only in this life, but in the life to come. That's why we could start this sermon by saying there is nothing more valuable for you to know than godliness. There's no training that will be more effective in every aspect of your life, whether you're crunching numbers on an Excel spreadsheet or trying to figure out how to preach the word of God on a Sunday morning. There is no knowledge and practice that is more valuable to you than godliness. Train yourselves in godliness, which is of inestimable value both in this life, in every area of this life, and in the life to come. That's the first expectation you should have. You should expect to receive something that is preeminently valuable for every aspect of your life. And the second thing that you should expect as you receive and as you teach is that you yourself would flourish. Verse 6. This is how Paul starts his exhortation to Timothy. If you put these things before the brothers, okay, if you do this, if you teach your children well, if you teach those around you, if you receive the word and deliver it unto others, here is what you can expect to accrue on your behalf. If you teach these things before the brothers, you will, one, be a good servant of Christ Jesus, and two, be trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. I have hope for you teachers. Whether you're a parent or a Sunday school teacher or just trying to get the gospel across to your neighbor, I have hope for you when it seems hopeless, when it seems no one's listening, when it seems like everyone's ignoring you, there are still two blessings that you can expect from the Lord. You can expect to yourself be trained in godliness and you can expect yourself to be pleasing to God our Father. You see, Timothy, even as he is teaching, is taught. Even as he is training, he is trained. The blessing held out to Timothy, the promise held out to Timothy, is not only that he would be a very useful Christian, not only would he be able to help those around him, but that he himself would grow. He himself would please his father. He would be trained by the word of God. When we do these things, when you hear the same stories that you've heard a thousand times, when you gather to fellowship with the brethren, when you converse before church, after church, during church, about the word of God, about what it means and about how it applies to your life, as we do these things, what God is doing is preparing us not only for this life, but for the life to come. These things we learn are eternal things. This training we receive is not a momentary blessing. It's not so that we have a good career. It's not so that we have a good life. It's for eternity. Let us then, together, put ourselves under the word of God. Let us love and delight and get excited each week about the ordinary work of depositing small amounts, small amounts, into our souls. Father, we pray that you would give us a desire to learn, to grow, that you would put us underneath the word, and that we would delight in it. 
Lord, we pray that you would give us energy to do these things well. We pray for our Sunday school teachers, that they would be excited about a new year of students. We pray for our students, they would be excited about a new year of learning from the word. We pray all of this in the name of Christ. Amen.